Hello and welcome to episode 299 of the Apologue Podcast. I am your host, Simon Head. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by AIXDSP.com. Get affordable and useful plugins for your digital audio workstation. Dull. Get the IC Intuition Compressor. It's a compressor that gives you a clear and intuitive visual display that shows exactly what is happening to your audio at all times. Click the link in the description. Amazon shoppers, get some shopping in. Use the hyperlink in this description or go to appalock.ca and click on the banner located on the right side. Bookmark the links and every time you shop on Amazon, use the links to shop and support the show. Cost you no extra money. If you want to support my work on a monthly basis, go to Patreon. You can pledge as much or as, as little as you want to help with my hosting and gas fees and you can cancel at any time. Patreon.com slash Go buy a t-shirt at appalock.ca slash shop. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. Give it five stars, please. Like and share on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash pod. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram now, SimonHead666. So, who do we have today? I have a dear old friend, Jay Myris, who I met almost 25 years ago when he worked for Much Music. He worked on a show called Facts. And basically, it was, it was the west side, the west coast of Much Music. And uh, he had an amazing job. Like, he'd travel around all over the place him and a camera. He supported Terry David Mulligan when he was working for Much Music. What can I say about Jay? Jay is a cinematographer. He works in corporate video now, and he is still the same person that I knew 25 years ago. He loves music. And uh, this one is a nice, juicy, long episode. He tells an amazing story at the end where uh, basically got arrested. And yeah, he's a good dude. So everybody, welcome a dear old friend, Jay Myris, on the Apologue Podcast. I think the last time I saw you was in Vancouver. Yeah. It had to be over 20-something years ago. Yeah, it was. Well, we're talking about uh, our our, uh, first, our first meeting, because we met many times afterwards. Yeah, our first meeting, I'm pretty sure, was when I was with Red Fisher. Yes. And I'm pretty sure the first time I met you was either, there was two times, we saw you in Winnipeg, and we saw you in Vancouver. In... Um, <laughs> I don't remember which one was the first one. It might have been the, it, the Forks, the one at the Forks. No, I think it was Vancouver. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was our first time meeting, and that's when we, you guys were playing. You were playing with Red Fisher. Yeah. Um, and uh, Starfish Room. Starfish Room. Yes. Yeah. And I was so funny. I was trying to remember what the name of it was because I thought it, it. I knew it was Club Soda before that. Yes. <laughs> Which is now yeah, actually, it's a row of uh, condos now. That's hmm. uh, sad. I think that was one of the best venues there. I just noticed Richards on Richards has got tore down too. So wow. So many good shows there. 
yeah, yeah. Yeah, Vancouver's, you know, there were so many cool places there and you go there now and it's just, it's not a very big place. No. So like, yeah. No, I That's went, I was there last year and around February and I, uh, and we went the last time, well, I was talking before then, it was a long time before that, but we went to the Morrissey bar because that was where the cool place was, but it's not the cool place anymore. It's dark and loud and you can't actually sit and have a conversation. There's like DJ, like cranking music. It's like, who said that was a good idea? <laughs> and, uh, oh God. yeah, it's a, it's a different scene, man. Like, although the Commodore is open and, and it's, it's, it's been open for a while now, but when it closed for a while, it seemed like that was the end of it. And then they reopened and, um, well, that's where we were. And I saw Brent Belke. I hadn't seen him in years. And, mm-hmm. uh, and all those people and uh yeah it's a different city man definitely a different place to be <sighs> yeah it was good times back then but i remember uh when we do you remember when we were driving so when i was working at much and we did an interview for uh the show i was doing facts and uh we got in the old van and we were driving around doing the interview it was um, me, uh, you, uh, Jason Tate, yep, and uh, John. Yeah. Um, and do you remember we're driving around, and then uh, uh, all of a sudden we get surrounded by cars? <laughs> yeah, I do remember and that. Guns. Cops pulled get, us and they, over, <laughs> and they pulled out their guns as well. And rem- they all had their guns out. I don't remember the guns, but I remember like being like, "Holy shit!" I guess we drove past a crime scene. Uh, well, they, they they said they were following us as well because they thought we were involved somehow in something that went down, a robbery or something. And I remember jumping out, and then they had their weapons. Uh, Holy shit. And, uh, and you had yeah. clearly your camera. It wasn't like – it was a pretty sizable <laughs> instrument, and it had much music on it. I'm pretty sure it had much Western. It had a sticker on it. And I think the only thing you were saying was, I work for much music. I'm not <laughs> – don't, don't, don't shoot us. Don't kill us. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for the people at home, let's talk a little bit about – like because we have known each other for almost 30 years. Yeah. Um and it's been a long time since we've actually talked in person. And the only reason I joined Instagram is to see that video that you had posted of that interview we were just talking about. So tell mm-hmm. tell the people at home a little bit about who you are, where you came from and uh yeah, and you know, we'll, we'll fill in the gaps as we go. Uh yeah, well, I mean, I'm from Winnipeg, Manitoba. I grew up there. Grew up in the North End. Um, and well, I was born in 1968. I went to elementary school. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, and how did that make you yeah, feel? So <laughs> I, uh, so, so from Winnipeg, um, and you know, did my thing in Winnipeg, wasn't sure what I was going to do. And then, you know, um, went to, uh, uh brandon manitoba i i i'm gonna back up so basically grew up in winnipeg went to brandon manitoba went to school in brandon manitoba they have a broadcasting uh, tv course i wanted to get into that i didn't know how my dad's friends had a son 
who wanted to get into it too. And he said he was going to this course in Brandon, Manitoba. So I went to college in uh, Brandon and I lived in Brandon for like two and a half years or almost three years because it was only a two year course, but I ended up working at the local TV station there. Called, it's called CKX at the time. It was like a repeater station for CBC and and uh, actually CTV too. And it was back then it was really weird because uh, uh, you could, it would, it would take different signals at different times of the day and it was from CBC programs and CTV programs. So it was a small, small station. If you wanted to start like somewhere small and get in the business, the broadcasting business, which I did for the most part um, back then, uh, you worked at a little station like that. So anyway, worked in Brandon, Manitoba. Uh, during three years, did I say three years? Yeah, three years. Um, and I was in school, but then I got a job at the at CKX while I was in school. So I went to school in the daytime and at nighttime, I would work at CKX and I was uh, in charge of dubbing uh, movies from film to tape. So I've dubbed, I've seen every Beverly Hillbillies, Knott's <laughs> Landing, Dallas, Falcon Crest, everything. And that's what I would do at night till like four in the morning, five in the morning, and then go, go to school. Um, and uh, fast forwarding, left there, got a job in Winnipeg um, at a station called uh, MTN. It's called the Manitoba, it's not there anymore. Remember that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. The uh, Manitoba Television Network. And uh, it was a TV station. They had a, a based out of Portage La Prairie, Manitoba, but they also had a Winnipeg um, uh, bureau. So I worked out of the Winnipeg one. I wanted to be a news cameraman. That's what I really wanted to do. Um, so I was kind of focusing on that in school. And then from school, when I moved, left school i actually moved to winnipeg so then i then i did a work experience while i was working at mtn so mtn i was working at night for the news and then uh daytime i was uh like um what do you call it? work experience yeah co-op or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. at the cbc because that's what i wanted initially to do or i was planning on doing is i wanted to be like a cbc national cameraman so i was there for four months and then I kind of started seeing how they worked and stuff. And it, it uh, I don't know, I just didn't dig it. It was, uh, I, you know, CBC was, you know, the epic uh, place to work back then, especially for like journalism and stuff like that. But it was a huge operation. And then when I worked there back in the day, you would work um, in Winnipeg. And the CBC had, as you know, has CBC French, CBC English. But back then, newsrooms were running full tilt, not like now. You know, you don't, don't even have anybody working at nights pretty well. But back then, they would, they would have a French local news crew, um, a French national news crew, a French current affairs local crew, um, and uh, a, an English national crew, English local crew, English current national current affairs crew. So you had like like probably like eight different 
crews working around Winnipeg. Um, and then I worked at MTN, which was, you know, one, one camera person that worked with a reporter and stuff like that. And even CTV had it like that. And another, another uh, broadcaster uh, called CKND and they were a small, small one like us too. So it was just, uh, it kind of turned me off because it was such a huge operation. Um, a lot of seniority based stuff too. Like people almost need to die before the positions open up type of stuff. Yeah. And it, it, the biggest thing that really I found was incredible was like how um, everybody was, even though they worked for the same, same network, everybody was fighting against everyone. So you would show up to a news event and there would be a scrum, 10 CBC crews would be scrumming against each other. Nobody shared anything, you know, it was a really, real uh, cutthroat. And um, then you had the local crews mixed in who were, you know, private, private broadcasters and stuff like that. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then it just turned me off, you know, so I kind of changed, changed my way. Um, through it and decided I didn't want to be part of that uh, bureaucracy. It was, uh, but looking at back at it now, it was pretty wild. It was a pretty awesome actually, because <laughs> uh, uh, you know they still were a good CBC. Was still I think you know the best in the sense of like being embedded throughout the country. And um, uh, I really do like the CBC actually. Um, now you know now that I'm step stepped away from it, mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. I think they're a real great institution and uh um there's a lot of uh gr you know they were really someone and uh, an entity that sort of uh was canada part of canada you know and you know it still yeah. is in a way radio and tv because first of all the news isn't super biased i mean we can't we don't need to go into what's happening south of us but no, it's it's very uh it's non-biased you know like it's like watching bbc or it's like because it's it's national news, like it's not. It's sorry, it's nationally run, state run, basically TV. But they have, I think they've changed a lot of um, how they program, and you know this whole thing with now their you know shows, the CBC shows are getting put on Netflix. Like, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, Gosh. pretty awesome for for what you know. With all the barriers yeah. in the way too, right? With all how they have to run with specific regiments and how they have all these protocols and bureaucracy is what you're saying it's how they can cut through it and get something on netflix is pretty awesome yeah it's good it seems like uh you know what, what i mainly like about cbc is how they're sort of embedded and, and like they're everywhere and you know they're a great informant they they're great at you know putting out information and they got they got people in every city, in every place around the country. And, uh, and it's interesting, especially radio, you know, CBC mm -hmm. radio is really, uh, really cool. The way they, uh, you know, they're just there. They're, you know, they're there and they're doing their job. Yeah. So when did you move out of town? Like from Winnipeg to like, how long did it take you to get to much music? Like between that time? Yeah. So. When I was working at, uh, I would say when I, okay, I'll, I left Brandon, went to uh, Win Winnipeg, worked a couple of years in Winnipeg, um, 
And when I was working at MTN, I sort of evolved because, as I said, I didn't want to work in news anymore. I wanted to work more in entertainment and stuff like that. And one thing that really, um, you know, really turned me on was the new music. The new music was uh, done by Chum Television, which is, you know, they started much music. And uh, so the new music was something I thought like, oh, wow, it's pretty cool. They were, you know, they were, it was a one hour show. And, uh, you know, there were like 10 minute pieces in it. It wasn't like two minutes or three minutes. So it was just cool. Yeah. And it was with everyone, you you name it, they were doing it. Oh, Every yeah. artist, you, you, just, you, you can name anybody. And they have done a story on us and hung out with them. And the way they did, the way they presented things was, it wasn't like, you know, a voiced over, um, you know, ABAB uh, story. It was like, you know, it was something was happening, you know, whatever the process was, you were kind of a part of it. So it was really cool. So that's what I wanted to do. So when I was working at MTN, I was working on getting to uh, Toronto. I wanted, I wanted, kind of wanted to work at Much Music. And I really love City TV too. City TV, yeah. City Pulse News, super awesome, super cutting edge. The way they did things was, I've never seen anything like it back then. No. So I was working on that, trying to get there. And um, while I was working at MTN um, in Winnipeg, I was kind of uh, doing the uh, entertainment segments and stuff like that. And I kind of evolved into being a videographer uh, and a host. So. Um, one night in Winnipeg, I was hosting uh, the entertainment news and I had the uh, Festival de Voyeur was on. This was in the winter in St. Boniface. They have the Festival de Voyeur, which is a French festival. Well, um, the Festival de Voyeur was a queer culture festival that was going on. Um, not, not at the same time, but they called it that. It was you know, very clever. Had an um, artist by the name of Shauna Dempsey on uh on the news live so we mtn really emulated a lot of much music and and city tv stuff so we did a lot like we'd have a live band on on the news you know um live artists and this was this artist we had on was uh shauna dempsey that i had brought on and uh shauna was a performance artist she did her thing uh her her piece a piece of the piece that she was doing at the festival so it was a teaser. And um, the way it ended was, um, I can't, I'm not going to go into a whole piece or anything, but the way it ended was that uh, she, she ripped her skirt off. Um, this is live TV. <laughs> and um, there she had, she had a big, big cake on the floor and she um, squatted between the cake and started squishing it between her thighs. <laughs> and uh, and um, it, 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 it was a piece about a lot of things important things but anyway i'm, I'm just kind of i don't want to take forever to explain it to you so anyway so that's what she did she was squishing a big chocolate cake between her thighs live on the news and um uh so the minute i went off the air the phones were like oh, lit up you know yeah. um and uh the first phone call was uh the station manager of uh, the owner of uh, M Mandelbaum Network, I'm like, what the fuck were you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, I can't believe that happened. Um, who told you to do that? Blah blah blah. And you know, I, I never really, I, when it was happening live on the air, you know, I thought, okay, well, you know, this is this is 
um, different, but I never thought like, well, you know, like it's really that bad or in someone else's eyes. I never put myself in their position. But anyway, so um, phone lit up. This was on a Friday and I come to work on a Monday and the uh, bureau managers there um, going, they went through the whole thing with me again. Never in all my years of broadcasting have I ever seen anything like that, blah, blah, blah. And I see this envelope on the desk and uh, I said, just give me the envelope and I open it and, uh, and they fired me. Um, uh, for irresponsible, uh, I think it said on the letter for irresponsible broadcasting. So here I am. <laughs> I still have the letter. <laughs> it was awesome. So, uh, so I got fired, and uh, in the meantime, uh, a good friend of mine was like, "Jay, you just might as well move to Toronto. They're never going to hire you." if you're, you're living in Winnipeg. So I thought that was a good time to leave. So I got fired from my job and, mm -hmm. and like what everyone else would do is like, hey, this is a great opportunity to get a, a, a job somewhere else. But not yeah. really, but- uh, What year was this? This was in um, maybe 1990. Yeah. Maybe 90, probably 1990. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, Lost my job, got fired for irresponsible broadcasting, having a, uh, you know, a lesbian performance artist live on the air. Had a, uh, 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 a petition signed by uh, the Grant Park Church, a church in Grant Park. 500 people signed a petition to have me fired. <laughs> <laughs> I got that too. It's awesome. Uh, uh. Um, and so they wanted me fired. I was already fired. Um, and that's when I decided to move to Toronto. And, uh, then I moved to Toronto and just kind of cold called it. And I had a connection at city TV. He kind of brought me in and then I kind of got to know people and started, uh, working in there on city pulse news, shooting news, you know, mm. they, uh, uh, around Toronto, they first hired me as a bikeographer. Uh, and so I would ride around the city. In a, on a mountain bike with a high camera in my backpack and a walkie-talkie and I would shoot, they called them hot shots. And I would run, rush around the city and I'd get there pretty quicker than most cars and, you know, fire, car accidents, anything like that. Cause they were like, you know, city, city pulse news was, you know, they were city pulse news. So yeah, yeah. anything that was going on, they were going on. So that's how I initially started there. And then I uh, worked my way in. Oh, and by the way, and then, in the meantime, I had actually fought uh, a Manitoba, Manitoba television network. I had um, fought them on the firing, and they actually had to give me my job back. So, <laughs> then you quit. They were forced. Yeah, then I quit. <laughs> then I quit. Yeah, I had a arbitrator lawyer, and they said you got to give him his job back. And um, but then I quit anyway, and I was already on my way. So that's incredible. That's so funny because stuff like that tomorrow, if that happens, it's like, there you go. No, it's yeah. no big deal. In the heightened, I mean, it's so funny how how conservative stuff would have been back then and how, I mean, sort of how different it is now with stuff like that, you know, where they can get away with flashing a boob, but you can't say certain, you know what I mean? Like there's like, there's, yeah. it's all weird and topsy-turvy about how, uh -huh. how, how that stuff happens. And, you know, we never really got into the 
uh, you know, that thing, what happened when I got fired from that? Um, you know, there, it was a very deep, very deep, and you could have went into so many layers with everything, you know, but uh, I didn't see anything. First of all, I didn't see anything wrong with putting the, um, the event on the air or anything like that, or having Shauna Dempsey on there mm -hmm. or anything like that. But, you know, like when uh, it, everybody got real, a real good pass on that because there should have been a lot more people held to, held to the fire, you know, thinking back about it now, looking at it now, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It would have been outrageous. They would have been uh, probably like that. They would have been out of business. Probably that uh, that company, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's it's in yeah. So you're you so you're it's so funny because when you kind of moved to Toronto, it wasn't that much longer before I moved out of basically the Toronto area to Winnipeg. So, so I moved there. I moved to Winnipeg around 1992. So, when did yeah. you, how long were you in Toronto for before you moved? Because I think you obviously moved west again at that point, even further west. Yeah, I was in Toronto and then um, was there. So when did we do the 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 Red Fisher thing? Was in ninety four? Was that something like that? Yeah, ninety four. Okay, so yeah, so maybe four. Yeah. I... Um. <laughs> so yeah, I went to. I guess probably around ninety. So yeah. ninety, I went to Toronto. Stayed there for about almost three years. And then I uh, kind of like, ah, I really liked Vancouver. I'd been there a couple of times working. Mm -hmm. And um, so I proposed to them, why don't you guys, you know, send me out to, to much music? I said, why don't you send me out to Vancouver and, you know, I can have a bureau out there and I'll, and I'll, um, you know, I'll work, I will, uh, I'll do the West Coast stuff and everything like that. And they said, yeah, <laughs> it was easy as that. That's insane. Yeah, because yeah, awesome. you seem like you're the only guy out there. Like, you know, yeah. not only did they they gave you a mic and a camera, and then they made you like the actual host of the show at the same time. I was talking to somebody about that today about how awesome it was that you're kind of the only person, the only representative of much music from day to day, right? Like on a day to day basis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. Um... I was working with a guy, Terry David Mulligan. Yeah. Terry yeah, was yeah. out there too. Yeah. So Terry had a show um, uh, there, much west it was called. Um, so he was doing that show. So I was supporting him on that. I was shooting with Terry, mm -hmm. shooting with him a lot, his interviews and stuff like that. So Terry essentially, Terry was there. So Terry was, okay. was uh, um, the much music guy there. Forgot about Terry. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, uh, but like, he was, it was always sort of a stringer out there. And then when I got out there, it was sort of more permanent, you know, like we were actually doing stuff like much music was doing stuff. So yeah, I kind of just like, why don't you put me out there? And I said, yeah, that sounds good. And then all of a sudden I was there. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And then most of the stuff I did was for a show. It was called facts. You remember that? Yeah. 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 So facts for anyone that doesn't know it there. Fax was like uh, ro uh, the rock and roll news. It was the news. It was on five days a week uh, on Much Music, uh, prime time. Uh, I think it was on at seven o'clock uh, Toronto time. Um, and it was the uh, it was a half hour 
for an hour, a half hour show. Yep. And it was a rock news show. So I was a, you know, contributor, a videographer for it. And man I on the street, man on the street. That's yeah. what you, yeah, yeah. 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 So I would do, you know, I kind of did whatever. And most of it was, I mean, it's all music related, Yeah. but uh, my, you know, I, I would cover all the way from, from um, Vancouver to Winnipeg was my turf. And then from uh, Vancouver to Los Angeles, you know, so I, I had that too. And I would go there a lot um, for, uh, for whatever, you know, whatever was happening. Yeah. Like how many times were you looking for a mirror to, to finish off or close off a, you know, a segment? It was like very, because <laughs> like I said, the camera was on the shoulder style camera, which yeah, that was, couldn't have been light. That was, that was the whole thing too about um, sort of uh, city TV. Um, the visionary back then of city TV and much music was this uh, guy, man named Moses Neimer. Um, really, 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 really interesting guy, really innovative. He had, you know, he was the guy that kind of came up with city TV and how, how he designed, you know, everything, the, his concept of, of, of sort of what a TV station was and what much music was going to be is like his thing was the big picture. So the process, not just like what's inside it, but everything outside it. So yeah. process, he would always say process. So a big thing about that was we were never allowed to just put, you know, put our camera down and talk to it. We had to be always working with our technology or, or operating it or, or, you know, had of it in our hands or figuring out some way to, you know, when we're telling the story, we, we didn't do voiceovers at all. That wasn't allowed. So when you were telling your story as a videographer, for example, you always had to be working with your equipment. So that's where you would find, you know, a reflection in a window or reflection in the car mirror. You could put it down, but you had to be physically moving with it and put it, say, on, you know, on top of a newspaper box or a mm-hmm. mailbox but you always had to be working with it. So that was kind of um, the thing uh, that we had to be aware of. Cause if you, you just put the camera on a tripod and talk to it, like you were gone, you know, you get <laughs> totally reamed out and that uh, was not the way things were done. They had a, he had a Bible and um, you had to stick, you know, stick to it and uh, follow these protocols. Yeah. And everybody uh, kind of had like a template. There was a templated type of thing. And, where do you figure Moses, I'm sure, did he just come up with these ideas? Was it just things he was thinking about? Or did it get cribbed from somewhere else? Because I do know much music was an offshoot of the overnight movies or videos they used to show. Like uh, from yeah. mid- midnight to six was just rock videos. Now, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm old enough to remember those times, like before much music, where you'd stay up, there'd be the blue movies. He would have blue movies. Mm-hmm. Then it would be music videos so the first time i ever saw a music video was watching city tv at like two in the morning like 14 years old or 13 years old going what the what's going on here there's a story happening to this rock song (laughs) yeah incredible um and but before that he was already kind of up to something already with um city pulse news Mm -hmm. so they're to me they were very much alike city pulse news was like that the um, you know how much music had an open concept back then. Yeah. You, the control room was in, the bands were playing in the control room with the cameras. It was all in one room. Yeah. You know, you saw, you you always saw the 
the fourth wall or third wall or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you saw the crew, you saw the VTR machines, you saw other camera people in the shot when they were yeah. shooting um, yeah. stuff like that. So it was all that's and that's what Moses would call process. You know the process of, and he was already doing that with um, the news. You know what I mean? He had news for him. It was it was choreographed. You know, like mm. it had like um you know like little stages or areas where the weather person would do their weather and the anchor people would have their desks or their area and they have the health, you know, and the, and the um, politics purple people. So it was all kind of staged, you know, yeah. not staged, but like like staged in the sense of like the physical choreography, but everything changed every show. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, MTV obviously beat, beat them. You know, MTV was the original originator yeah yeah from the yeah sort of a national video show but but i'm not sure who was doing like you said i think they were doing the videos first before anybody they were they were late night i mean mtv didn't make it into canada until it felt like the 90s (laughs) you know what i mean like i think they tried uh late nights even you know i remember talking to somebody from mca concerts going hey guess what's coming to canada i'm like what he was mtv i'm like you know what that's not gonna happen and the guy was (laughs) he turned out to be the guy who was working with mtv to bring mtv into into canada but i i don't yeah i don't know i mean much music now i mean obviously life is completely different i drove past like the uh, much music the building the other day and it's like bell yeah. media i don't i don't know who you work for now but i'd see the big bell media sign on the and i'm like oh no okay. doesn't even say it doesn't even it doesn't say much music anywhere on no, it. No, it says Bell. You yeah. see the truck. The truck's still coming out the wall. But yeah, yeah. That's the only thing that's left behind from that whole thing. And even the building looks a little cleaner. And I don't know. I had to run in with Bell Media because I'm trying to catch some footage from this documentary I'm working on for Lois and Low. Yeah. And I spoke to somebody from Bell Media who, who owns all the clips. And I said, hey, uh, I want to get... Can I get some footage? Because I'm doing this nights and weekends passion project on a Canadian iconic rock band, and they um, they said, "Sure, here's our rate chart, here's our sheet." I'm like, "Oh shit!" And it was like three hundred dollars a second or something. Like, are you kidding me? Or no, thirty dollars, thirty dollars a second, up to twenty seconds. Can you fucking believe that? And then there was like a um, go find it fee. Like they had to go find it because none of it's been digitized. And then there was the um, there was fees. It was like I'm not spending four thousand dollars for twenty seconds of B roll that I can just get on YouTube. Like it's right there on YouTube. This is the thing I want. It's them playing the Kumbaya Festival at uh, Ontario Forum. Oh God, yeah, that was I, I, that was good times out there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, so all that footage. So are you telling me that all the stuff they own the footage? Yeah, they own that, all that archive. They do. It's funny, eh? Yeah. I, um, I, I'm surprised. I thought Moses would have got away with it, like, because um, he saved. And and I'm gonna tell you right now, everything was saved. Everything. Yeah. We had a full, you know, full time a library with like four librarians at at much, and everything was cataloged and logged. And we had, you know, it was all on a rudim. But well, I mean, when I got there, it still wasn't on a computerized data sheet yet, but you it, it was just like a library you know where you went through the uh cards yeah and um looking for whatever you're looking for but it was all there and um well at least it's there i was always wondering what happened to it you know 
Well, there was no guarantee if they were going to find it, too. That was the thing, because when you say there's a, supposed to be a database of, like, hey, this tape at this minute's going to have this thing on it. They didn't seem to, like, well, we got to go find it, was the question. I guess there's a mountain of, of tapes to deal with, but they still need to go and find it. But I thought it would just be going into a database and going, lowest of the low, interview, whatever. And then it should pop up and go, oh, it's this thing to this thing. But it seems that uh, Bell Media is not too interested in helping out uh, <laughs> independent artists, and uh, I, you know, I'm a little bummed out by it. But at the same yeah. time, I'm not really surprised. I mean, but I'm not their ATM. You know what I mean? Like they're gonna, you know, it's like one of those well, things. There should be some sort of scale. Like, hey, man, I've already lost money in this thing. Why are you charged? I'm not going to. And it's gonna kind of like damage the the whole story in a way if I can't get part of this information. So I might just actually put my camera on a YouTube screen and just shoot that and say, and it'll have YouTube on it. And if you want to, you want go after the person that's uploaded it to YouTube. You know, don't come after me. And I, the other trick is, is don't put the audio on it, and that should get me get a pass for a while. Well, I mean, I I think uh, I think uh, maybe we could try some brainstorming outside of this hmm. and um, see if we could come up with some names because um, I have my contacts. Yeah. Um, Oh, a that. long time ago, and they could uh, tell, probably have a better story of where those tapes are, and um, and hopefully, you know, you could find. I mean, I don't see why not. Like, you know, like just make the that library accessible to everyone. It's kind of history um, in a way, right? You think about it, like, oh, yeah. and, and you spent all that time categor like cataloging it. Why wouldn't you just put it into a museum of sorts, or even a a library system where? And make it fair. I mean, if people are doing personal projects, it shouldn't be like, hey, we're going to treat you like your yeah. your banger films or something. You know what I mean? Where you can afford the co you know, the to spend all the the money on the uh, you know, to get the copyrighted stuff. It's it's a bit funky, but yeah, whatever. Well, that's that's the twenty year old of me going, God damn it. <laughs> well, I mean, but but more you talk about it, it's like you know. person that's running Bell Media right now, I think his name is Randy Lennox. Yeah. Randy Lennox used to run Universal Music oh, I mean, yeah. um, for a long time. And I mean, you know, like maybe you got to call Randy up and say, hey, Randy, do you love Canadian? Do you love Canada? Do you love Canadian music? Oh, do you love Lois and the Low? Yeah. He'll probably say, yes, I do love them. Yeah. And uh, maybe yeah. he'll get you in the library there and uh, you can start pulling clips. <laughs> That'd be great. Well, let's, yeah, I, I spoke to a, cause I just started on Facebook. Anybody know anybody that used to work at much music and I got yeah. somebody's name and they actually ended up, they end up running, they're running the Hollywood cinema video, uh, like channel that's on Rogers. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and yeah. yeah. And he goes, Oh, I'm a huge fan like of Lois of the low. And I'm like, Oh my God, it totally, it's like punk rock provides, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and he, he, he put me on to a few other people. It all turned up, negative but what he did say i don't know if it's an empty promise or not it's like hey if you need someone to show your movie i'm like wow <laughs> no one's offered oh, okay. that it's not even done i'm like you know so he's like a guy is going to probably help certain things obviously it's, the product needs to prove itself but but that's very nice of someone to offer something like that it does give hope you know what i mean that the industry is kind of on your side a bit yeah yeah i mean uh they better not have fucking destroyed those tapes. I'm telling you that. <laughs> Boy, that would be that would be tragic because there's so many amazing 
things in there that, uh, you know, you could start your own television network with the old programs there and everything like that. Rerun them again. A lot of people would love to watch them. And, oh, yeah. And, Just uh, the intimate you know. and interactive shows. The ones yeah. they do. I mean, there's so many shows that I remember that you can't access them. There's no way you can get them. There's a few on YouTube, but they're all like VH, VHS reps. So they're like, meh, you know. And the raw, the raw interviews too, because we kept all, they kept all the, I'd say we, they kept all the raw interviews from everything. So when, when I was, when I finally moved to Toronto, when I was working um, in Toronto, um, you know, I was a videographer, but I also was a field camera cameraman for um for much music so i was you know working on the new music which i wanted to and you know when we would go and interview these um artists it wasn't like you know a five minute interview like it is now where you know you're you're only can ask one or two questions it was like they were like an hour two hour interviews and they were usually set around um even a day a day so you weren't just going to interview them you're doing something with them so you're either there at the studio with them sometimes you would get there when they were doing bed tracks which was totally awesome um or you were getting them when they were mixing it but you'll get something or you're you know getting something uh even like them shooting their album cover like those are amazing yeah. times you know conceptually and and artistically and there's so much stuff there, like uh, yeah, that that never saw the light of day because you know, like you're doing a two-hour interview, and there was gold stuff too. It wasn't, you know, a, a two-hour interview where they were sitting in a chair in a in a hotel room. It was a two-hour interview, like I said, at the recording studio or uh, you know, at the pool at the side of the pool or or on tour with them at a backstage yeah. or something. Yeah, there's like gold there, man. What was the one? Uh, um, King Apparatus did one. Where they destroyed their bus, their tour bus. Do you remember <laughs> that segment? And they're like, I don't. They did. He did the Clockwork Orange move with the hammer on the roof, and like they were <laughs> smashing up their van. And it was part of new music. And they were yeah. sitting in the thing. It's like I don't think anybody's had sex in this. Has anybody had sex in this? And there's a few guys in King Apparatus <laughs> at the time. And they're like, yeah. sitting, and they're like, nope. And they could see their faces, kind of like maybe. <laughs> yeah, King Apparatus. <laughs> yeah, man. Detachable penis is that? Uh, was that their song? I don't know. Detachable penis. I remember, but I do remember they were involved with the Raw Energy Group, which ended up being like there's a lot of affiliation with some bands that I worked with in, in the early mid '90s for sure. But yeah, man, like it's yeah, you're right, and like, I mean, I guess we kind of need to look back on times like that, that and and sort of realize that things will probably never be like that ever again, right? I don't think so. I mean, I mean, it, everything about it makes it what it was, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's crappy. If you're going to watch it, it's on crappy video compared to now. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's never going to happen like that again. And it's, you know, there was no, there was no internet back then. Yeah. You know? Like for one thing. You know, there's no internet. There's no um, way of, you know, like when you're a journalist or whatever, or an interviewer uh, trying to find out stuff, you had to go into your, you know, well, you know, you had the record company publicist that would help you out, but you had to go into, you know, your vault and 
find out things that uh, I don't even know how they did it. You know, magazines, scenes, everything like that. So you have to be like a big fan of kind of a lot of bands or to kind of pull it off the interviews and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not a fan or, but just interested in them, you know? So. Well, yeah. I mean, this whole thing of, with, with podcasts and things like that for me, like I never thought that I would get so much enjoyment out of it. So I can't even imagine, and I'm getting paid shit for it. I'm going to be nothing. I mean, I, yeah. it pays for itself, but I don't make any money from it. But, but to be able to sort of be a, a, on the forefront of kind of like that guerrilla style of, of getting on the street and, and doing things the way, I mean, they, it seems like the world wants more news, but there's not enough news to fill the time. So then they're finding new stuff to throw up there and then you, and it's, and then they put it on repeat. So yeah. it's a quantity issue now, I think, you know, and you know, I, it's really easy for us to sit on our front yards and say, Oh, it was so much easier and do like old man speech and say, you know, but there is something to be learned about what was done back then, you know, and and in the nature, you know, you think like I keep saying, come back to be your, I'm sure your camera weighed over 40 pounds, you know? <laughs> sure yeah. Was. I mean, even going back to that. So yeah. we had, um, this is kind of how it was. You've had, you had two, you know, you had our cameras, which were a format called Betacam. Betacam, this is pretty well all broadcasters had the same kind of cameras. They're Betacam. It's a Betamax. It's a half inch videotape goes in your camera. So your camera is a video. It's a camera with a video recorder on it. And it's, it's a big thing, you know, 30 pounds, whatever. And that's kind of what everyone had. And then you had like maybe an SVHS camera, little high eight camera or something, but uh, they weren't, they really didn't, nobody really put much attention into those cameras back then. So beta cam was it. And, uh, so that's what we were all lugging around until like, geez, all the, then it blew up, you know, and then mm. 1999, you know, after 2000 and then it became like just everything sped up like a hundred times, hundred fold, you know, yeah. where video cameras now and, um, you know, you didn't have to shoot on film anymore. You're shooting videos on um, video cam, you know, music videos on video cameras that emulated film and all that stuff. So the technology kind of changed, and right now it's incredible. You know, drones yeah. and and, and it just it's it's crazy. You yeah, know? this isn't for the podcast, but I got I got this, which is a Blackmagic cinema camera. Yeah, yeah, I have one of those. They're incredible unbelievable what and is that like what does that cost you three thousand dollars two thousand dollars twenty five hundred bucks it's yeah. like who would have thunk you could find something and that was i needed something that could shoot 4k and i'm not even shooting in 6k it's like you know it's 4k is good no who, who's going to broadcast in 6k right now our tv goes to four you know what i mean like we're we're not there yet but it's good to know that i got something that yeah, will i have one of those yeah i have one of those i use i use it all the time on i get you know, paid gigs all the time. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. So, you know, and, and drones. I yeah. Mean, now you can just yeah. everybody, everybody has a drone now. And, um, you know, and, you know, you got to fly them and wherever it's safe and stuff like that. But um, that's only in North America where they're a bit of tight asses here. Yeah. But everywhere else you go, you know, there's incredible, incredible storytellers just with their, you know, their drones and stuff like that. And yeah, 
Yeah, you, it's wild. You have to get your pilot's license or a, a license, a drone pilot's license. Like if you're a YouTuber and you put something with a drone and you, you're you're proven to not have it, it's actually you could get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they get in trouble. I um, yeah, I just yeah, it must be just because I know there was a time when like hardware was mad limited, and then all of a sudden, you're right, there was this explosion of just like computers yeah. and is... everything got faster and everything's it's more compact and everything is you know it's cheaper and more people can do it i mean like in your this opinion is... sorry go ahead go ahead sorry i i, I don't want to lose this thought because you were talking okay. about like technology and everything like that so this is kind of how it worked for me i'm going to tell you about how i used to do it back in the day at much music so at much music um i was a videographer for fax which was a um the a daily um rock and roll news show mm. and i would contribute to that i would do a story a day or whatever you know so i'd have one thing in there five days a week in the summertime i would always be on tour and i'd be on like you know on um what do we have uh um um warp tour then i'd be out on um what were our big ones here I, edge fest uh edge fest. somersault yeah all, all that, and then I'd be on be on those for the for the for the summer. And Lollapalooza, I Lollapalooza. Lollapalooza, and I travel on. I usually hook up with the band, and I just travel on their bus, and I would file stories every day from like you know Saskatoon, Regina, Winnipeg, um, Thunder, you know, and then so. But what what I had to do back then is I was shooting on my old Betacam with my half inch tape. They lasted thirty minutes, you know. Um, so what we have to do is we had no editing facilities or everything like that. that didn't exist. Um, so I would go uh, to the airport and I would sit at the um, Air Canada cargo and I would um, do my paper edits for the next day's show. So I'd be sitting at the cargo office because I knew that the first, the last plane went out at 10 o'clock at night. So um, usually I would have my shit together for a story. So I would, I could get it on like I think I had to like say 9:30. I had to get it the tape out by 9:30, and I'd show up at the airport um, at the cargo office, and I'd sit in the cargo office with my camera, playing back my tapes and doing paper edits on paper. And then I, you know, the guy would tell me, "Okay, well, I need your tape now." And then as soon as the, you know, I, I ran out of time, I would take my tapes, put them in a, you know, a, a, an Air Canada cargo sack. And they would ship them out on the last plane out to Toronto. And then we have to send a courier to Air Canada Cargo and they pick it up and they would get it for like, you know, for, uh, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon and they'd start editing and get it on for whatever, for the news, nightly news. And that's what I would do. I'd be sitting at airports um, editing in the camera, watching the tapes back and, you know, transcribing the time codes and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, nowadays, God, it's a, uh, it's things have changed, but yeah, that was, but that was fun, you know. Yeah. You have to be, you have to be concise and know what your story was going to be about, and, uh, but yeah, that was a, a, a great snapshot of sort of how far we've come. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a guy like me can, you know, shoot whatever an hour and a half of video onto a hard drive, bring it here, import it, label it correctly, start building my timeline, you know, when I only have really one of the five interviews I need and start building and conceptualizing how it's going to yeah. 
come together and and it's yeah and even like because i'm a music editor so i feel that there's a bit of crossover between video editing and 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 audio editing especially with like just timing and things like that but the big the big thing i had trouble with and i asked a lot of people's opinions on was how do you what's your file structure like how does that work like you know what i mean like where do you start and how do you find everything how do you not get lost in the weeds so i did a lot of research before i even started importing something onto a hard drive like how is this done how is this done because i'm not used to doing like an hour and a half of video that spans from Los Angeles to right now Toronto, but it's oh it's Germany. It's like all over the place. I got people, yeah. you know. So how yeah. do you how do you make how do you manage that? And the smartest thing I did is I got my mom to transcribe all the interviews. Yeah. So I have like a word document of the interviews so I can actually do a word search. And so like there's some people who say some pretty colorful language. So every time you hear the word, you know, cunt, my mom is typing it. <laughs> It's just <laughs> <laughs> did she did she did she she didn't put like uh she didn't have a code name no no explained explanative no no she's no she's writing it down like she's a trooper <laughs> she's a trooper and I like I if I'm I'm reading this and I'm like oh my god and I'm doing the interview with some people I'm like and they're just throwing it out like it's like uh, you know like nobody's business and I'm like oh my god my mom has to type this out <laughs> <laughs> thanks mom thanks mom. Thanks, mom. Follow her the podcast too, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, I do. You, but I guess the main focus is, uh, or the question, or or the feeling is, uh, does it make for better content when there's not a lot of it, or because we have so much of it now? What's what you know? I know it's easier to look back and sort of fondly on the days of of old and say. Oh yeah, we had it way easier back then. And of course, there was only like twenty channels on TV in the two thousands, you right. know, and everything just changed. Yeah. But in your opinion, do you think it's better to have more to choose from, or just get what you get, like w- whether it be good or bad? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, that's the whole thing. I mean, what I think you got if you are like a filmmaker or. Um someone that's, you know, um, I'm not going to say journalist, but filmmaker, um, or you have to, you can only get what you get because that's all you're doing. You know, that's all you know. Like, so if you keep going and going and going, it's like the dead horse, you know, you're beating a dead horse or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how you have to, and, and you, and no matter what I always see is everyone always has an ending. Cause you know, you want to get to the ending or whatever, and it's always going to be an ending, ending with a question mark, ending with a tragedy, ending with a up, you know, a happy smile. So I don't know, you know, sooner or later, you gotta, you gotta, uh, when you're, when you're telling a story, you have to decide, I don't know, you, you, you have to, you have to stop. Yeah. That's it. You have to stop and then just start working on it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And with documentaries, they could essentially go on forever. Did you see uh, Cuba and the Cameraman? That's like a forty-year no, no. journey where the guy came, went down there in the seventies and started, and literally towed his equipment in a wagon because it was so big, you know. And then yeah. was there all the way up until like, and became friends with Castro. You know what I mean? Like because he's the only American that was allowed to interview him 
um, throughout these all this reign of power, you know, and it's a good documentary, but it goes for 40 years, you know, like from since he was a teenager, essentially like early 20s up into well into his 50s and 60s. And that that sort of coincides with the was there a time to say stop, <laughs> you know, and essentially I, his kids could take the story right in a way. Oh, God, no. No, you got to finish some. You got to finish it. But yeah. it, um, is this sort of um, are you going through the same thing with your lowest little low? <laughs> I, you know what? I have this this laser focus of what I want it to look like. That I'm, and I have always like I've always sort of surpassed my expectations based on I have a nice camera. I I've done this podcast for six five six years now, so I I have sort of a knack of how to sort of carry on the story in a way. Though though we are digressing on this one, but but that yeah. I I I seem to have like um. I know kind of where my questions are going and I know where the story's kind of going. So that sort of helps me focus everything along the line. And that helps me get me through like, where is this going to, is this a, this is a three act movie. Uh, there's a, you know, beginning and a middle and an end. The, the end is the future. Uh, and you know what I mean? So there's, there's, there's a lot of things along the way that I know like how this is going to fit together. My, my main concern is, having too much and not knowing when to cut, you know, cause I have worked on documentaries that are three hours long as a sound designer. And then CBC says, Hey, we want to put your documentary on our, on our show, but it's gotta be uh, an hour long. Any way of cutting two hours, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, uh, and he did, but did they make the story any better? Maybe, maybe, you know, that's the other thing is editing, you know? So like, how do I, you know, I'm using the band to say, what do you think of this? Are you saying what you need? You know what I mean? But oh, yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you're ever going to get it done. You know, <laughs> you're using the band. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, you think you got to lock yourself and, and just finish it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. work with what you got and then uh, finish it because you already got it probably. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, now you have to look for it maybe or. Or, or anything like that. Yeah, but yep. I wouldn't. I wouldn't ask the band. Yeah. I I wouldn't ask the band at all. Okay, so. that's good advice. But but no no just no. But because you know, um, you're if you're gonna keep asking them, they're they're they only are seeing and reacting to things they know. So you're gonna bring them other things that. Uh, they never thought about, they never saw, they never knew existed. Yeah. You know, you're a different set of eyes. And especially, you know, I'm you're a fan too. And yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing I was told is to get it all, then start editing, but I'm doing it in acts. So I'm dealing right now with the first act, and then I'll get into the second act, so then I can do re-interviews with the same people, and then I can do follow-ups. Because I feel that if I spoke to one person, say if I spoke to you about you know, if you're a, a musician from the '90s and you're going to speak for four hours about you, yeah, things are going to get missed. You know what I mean? You're gonna you're gonna jump stories, or you're not going to get the story straight. So that's why I'm doing it in like one hour interview bites, where it's like focused. Let's talk about this part of the part of your career, and then we're going to end it here. You know, and then I'm going to take it all and put it in here into my edit bay. I'm going to start that conversation with things go, and it's not stop. It's not locked. So if somebody talks about in the two months from now, about something that happened in the early days, it's going to make it in. You know what I mean? Like if it's valid, you know, 
So I am the editor of the story. And I think that's easier for me to basically have the final say on the thing. Because if they say, you know, if someone says, I don't like the way that went, it's like, well, I'm sorry, you don't like it. That, that's yeah. my answer to them. But yeah, I mean, you, you know, you, you've, you've been doing things like this all the way to, like you've been working in the industry for so many years. So, you know, um, when, did you, when did you leave Much Music? When was that era? I left, I left in, I left Much in uh, 99, 1999, 2000. So, you know, I only, I, it seemed like a long time, but like, I guess I had a 10 year run there. Yeah. You know, that's a so, long time. <laughs> yeah. 2000. And then, um, so that's when I left them, you know, um, uh, did you go freelance after, or did you, did you find another? Uh, well, I, I had, um, I, uh, took a bunch of years off. I had a son, so mm-hmm. I, uh, stayed home and, and, uh, did the stay home dad thing. So I basically stayed home for three years from, from 2000 on. And then it was a whole different world, but <laughs> uh, after that, but um, that's when the internet kicked in, you know, Yeah. which was shocking. What, what, what was really shocking about started, this is a bit off talk. That's fine. A, yeah. off, a bit off topic, but um, uh, when, um, the Nielsen's and the ratings became um, real time monitored. So now, um, at much, um, you could watch the television sets, you know, light up or your ratings light up like right on a computer screen. And that's what everything changed was when um, the Backstreet Boys, I always say. So back then, when you would they just got like you know the nielsen's or whatever they were online you could see the ratings right there and um the backstreet boys were you know a very popular with the team with the, with, with a lot of people back then and like literally you would mention on much music for example you would mention the backstreet boys and you could see the grab the spike go up like instantly and everyone phoning their friends and blah blah blah, and the television turning on, and it was incredible how things changed um, around that time. You know, it was just wild. And so, the interesting thing about that was, at much when you had a, at much when they had a show like Power Hour or or The Wedge or or um, a VJ or whatever, usually it was like records. You know, when you get a record deal, you get a seven record deal, seven, uh, yeah. a seven record deal. You know, you never make the seven records, but usually you'll make around three before they decide back then before they, you know, if it's not happening, they probably let you go. But that was the same at much a show that they came up with wouldn't would take at least a year for it to develop, you know, um, to see if people liked it and you get because you get the ratings quarterly back then so it would take a year for a development you know mm-hmm. to see if this was working be it a show be it a, a vj be it whatever it was and um then after that like 90 2000 or whatever i just noticed like everything was out the window you know things were changed like quickly and that's where you know the new music went down to a half an hour 
and then things started changing and then it got more into you know the uh you know the reality type of stuff or the um, yeah. you know the making of the band or whatever it was called i wasn't part of that so i don't really a friend of mine was part of that greg nori oh, greg, greg nori yeah 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 greg was a big part of that yeah he's bad uh, you know it's funny, uh, they never won anything. They'd said, you got what it takes, is what, that, that would be their prize at the end. Like, good job. You got it, yeah. <laughs> good work, good job. Do I get any money? No, no, no. Yeah. no. So get a pat on the back. They got paid. No, they didn't. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So, yeah. And they were turning over bands like that. Like, yeah. Greg got them in the studio, would whip them into shape, and then they would cut, would they cut? They wouldn't cut an album. They would cut like a song. Song or, or something, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it was yeah that yeah it was tough times because I think they started like losing music and putting more programmed stuff like, yeah. well I guess quote unquote tried and true, uh, and and what you're saying is totally true. Like I it was noticeable, and I think the industry was so fucked up in the early two thousands. Like people didn't know. Like what Napster? Oh my God! What I can't yeah. can't get my pool fixed because I got Napster on my back. Like there was a lot yeah, lot going on, man, and people were freaking out, and they they couldn't turn the boat around fast enough. But I think if City TV could have done it, they could have just reinvented themselves. But I think the damage was done, maybe at that point. Yeah, and I, you know, it all kind of fell apart. I think from like. Their, the bandwidth and mm. the internet. So everything, the um, record industry, the record companies didn't know how to monetize um, their artists, you know, in this new technology. Because, you know, they're Napster and everybody's sharing and everything like that. So they're claiming that uh, they're losing so much money because, you know, everything's being pirated. And that sort of wiped out everything. Yeah. everything down the line you know like so no more record deals like the big big record deals from my purview is were gone around 98 you know that's when all the record deals stopped but before that i mean that was every band every artist every band's dream is you know to get a record deal and i don't mean they wanted to be famous and have sports cars but they wanted to have a record deal be it with like you know warner brothers or universal or yeah. sub pop or, you know, or Matador or someone, you know, a big label or a small label. And um, then when the internet came and they could, the idiots at the uh, record companies didn't have enough smarts to monetize their artists. And I'm, you know, you know, and I'm saying that because these people were tied to contracts with the record companies. Yeah. And even though they were going under or n no longer making records, they were still put on the shelf and they couldn't make any more music until someone else picked up their contract. So yeah, it was uh, crazy how it worked all down the line there, you know? And I remember when I, when I worked that much, um, when we were do we do traveled all the time. Like I was always, I was always in like, I was gone every week. I was either in New York or Los Angeles or somewhere outside of uh, North America. And um, we travel, you know, per diems, they're called, you know, you got them. And yeah. I'm sure in SNFU, what did you guys get? Like $200 a day or something like that? For f <laughs> well, yeah, all that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, divide that by 100. Yeah, that's what we had. <laughs> um, 
but anyway, so our per diem, our per diem checks were from the record companies. So when I go on trips for much music, I go, here's your per diem, and I open the envelope, and it would say Warner Brothers on it or Universal Music or whatever, and they'd be checks for our per diems. Like mm -hmm. that's how kind of it was working back then because you know they needed you to pr promote yeah. them yeah. and blah 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 and yeah. so you were uh, it was that was pre pre internet and then then they totally fucked it all up the record companies you know <laughs> there's a, I've had Aaron from Fat Records the uh, on on this show and even Fat Records was ready to go belly up in the early 2000s like they were like yeah we were two months away from calling it quits because yeah. it was costing too much money and that's a label that solidly probably sold a half a million records a year regardless mm. you know what i mean and and the funny thing was all their bands because i worked for no um good riddance at the time and i you know and they're like yeah downloading's amazing and i'm like uh yeah not for your label though but you know and, and, you know, the interesting thing about all that is cut to 15 years later and you got things like Spotify and things like that. Um, the labels made were selling catalogs to Spotify for pennies on the dollar and they made truckloads of money because they don't need to make it anymore. They don't need to make a CD anymore. Like they don't need to make, you know, you know yeah. and, and so they're making more money now than they did 20 years ago, in my opinion, or even 30 years ago, based on the fact they never have to make a product anymore. It's like an, yeah. it's an item of virtual item. There you go. You know? They kept it on their, sh they have it on their shelves. They own it. Yeah. They own it. I mean, that, that was a, you know, like the deal with the devil back then, you know, signing a record deal or whatever. Yeah. But for most people, you had to do it because how else were you going to make music? You didn't have a laptop that recorded 48 tracks. You didn't have anything like that. Yeah. You know, like, so it was kind of the industry standard, I guess. Well, that was the thing. I, I spoke to Cam Carpenter a few years ago who used to run, well, he was the A&R for MCA Records and, yeah. you know, and, and, and he'd tell me stories like, and it makes total sense. Like there should be, you shouldn't have, a band shouldn't have to worry about certain things. A band should be making music. Their their job is to be artists. But now the job is so fractured. Not only do you have to make great music, but you have to be good at talking to people. And who said that because you're a famous artist that you have to like talk to people or you have to keep changing like what hat you're wearing about where you're sitting. Well, I'm manager hat guy. Now I'm gonna put mm -hmm. that hat on and where I'm I'm social media guy, you know. And I, I, I think the art of creating, it's, it's, it's never going to come back because like on the fact that it was, you had a publicist, you had a stylist, you had a person that did your radio promotion, you had a manager, you had your A&R rep, you had your day-to-day -day person. The, all these people had a job to make you famous and they didn't necessarily have to like your band. But they had no. a job to do, and if they didn't, they were on the hook for it, you know. And, and yeah. that's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that sort of, you know, how the old machine used to work. But now we all have to diversify and and try to make um, make it work, you know. And I don't know. Do you think there's going to be like a pushback about that? And like, I mean, you'll always have your Rilla Montangs. You'll always have your these type of artists who like. Or songwriters who don't care about the music business, 
But are those people, like, you know what I mean? Where do they sit in all of this? Well, I mean, the whole thing is, is like, honestly, I, I wouldn't know. Because you know what? Like, the way I was sort of involved in this, and I mean, I got involved in being a videographer or whatever, working with much music because I love music and stuff like that. And just liked it because it went hand in hand with mm. having a camera in your hand and, and, uh, you know, going to shows every night and all that stuff. But in the bigger sense of like, it's, it's, uh, it's much now to me, I mean, it feels like I'm just an old fuckhead, old fart talking about it, but it seems now a lot of things are more hard or more unbelievable. Are you, look at more things suspiciously to try and figure out what the story is, you know, like, so you just don't take things at first face value anymore. You know, everything now has a story and a great story behind it. But, um, and that's what a, a, a great artist, a great band is, you know, the, because once you love a band, you want to, who are they? I want to know more about them because I love them and what's their story. But then, you're getting all of that up front already, like kind of pushed towards you. Mm. So it's like, you know, oh boy, he was a, you know, a, a, a boy who grew up in a shack and blah, blah, blah. And now someone discovered him or that's an old story. That's, yeah. that's my old story. But, um, you know, like it's a lot more suspicion about everything that, you know, and, and everyone trying to find out more about it which is back then this is what i think back then when you love like i said before you love something you want to find out more about them i love them i love those who are they where are they from they're from ontario blah, 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 and you you want to know so much about them um but in a good way or a fan appreciation way but now people, I think, are looking for holes in your story, you know, yeah. and that's that's a, that's the thing, and that's um, that's the old guy talking, I guess. But well, you know, that totally makes sense. I, I can appreciate that, you know, because we're looking at things that are. I mean, listen, we've got reality TV that's making fake things, fake things look like real things. Of course, mm. we're going to start second guessing like is that real like i watch tv shows or i watch performances like the junos or the grammy you know or the Oscar, you know, grammys or whatever and i'm yeah. like are they really singing and i'm trying my hardest to see if it's actually a real performance yeah that's keying into exactly what you're saying like are they really doing this because if they were this is awesome this is awesome yes exactly <laughs> yes this is amazing like you know like oh for example like um uh, Lady Gaga, uh, for instance, at the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know what I mean? She, yeah. A great a thing. It's like, well, this is really good. She's really giving it her fucking 110%. You know what I mean? Like, this is great. Like, is it real? The weekend um, yeah. at the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm not going on Super Bowls, but, um, but, you know, another thing where they just, it's live, they're putting it all out there, and it's just like, wow is it like yeah you're watching it and going like is this all one a oneer you know a one shot yeah, yeah 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 and the answer for that gaga is no it wasn't because they shot the thing where she came in 
they shot that the yes. night before. That was <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I don't know if she actually even did it for the actual part of the Super Bowl, but that was you know you think about it and you know but that that's sort of exactly what you're saying is like once you start finding like oh wait a minute that wasn't you know can maybe she was singing that she probably was you know I I I I, I did you see she had a documentary on Netflix I ended up working it actually down in during TIFF I was like a production guy to make sure all the PA stuff worked for her um, at the um, uh, Princess of Wales theater. But Mm. I, she performed like she performed and I'm like, holy fuck, this lady can sing like, oh my God. And Uh she's great. And I asked their monitor guy, I go, is Lady Gaga like fun to work for? And he goes, no, (laughs) no, she's not. She's not good to work Uh for. I hate her, you know, (laughs) but she's taking me all over the world and I get to pay my mortgage, you know, just this salty British guy. But I was like, you know, it was like very Chris Farley. Like, it must be so cool. Like, you know, he's like, no, it sucks. <laughs> like, yes. yeah, yeah. There's a machine behind that for sure. Yeah. Yes. But, um, yeah. And, oh, God, you were, you just triggered me with something about when you were talking about <laughs> the production. And um, oh, I'm trying to think now. Well, yeah, there's, um, there's definitely. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of fakery in the world, and and to be able to decipher, and I don't want to be the jaded guy. I kind of want to be taken away. I want to be whisked away into uh, you know into imagination to say like, but is it feeding the machine or is it just me yeah. being complacent? And the answer is I don't know what the answer is to me. Um, you just you you yeah you reminded me about um, you know Lady Gaga did her video her sorry her documentary you said you were a part of that mm. or whatever um but you know this is another problem you know it's like all these amazing friggin' documentaries that are out on all the um streamers but um the documentaries are made by the subject you know lady gaga made her documentary yeah you know even even um the the rick did you see the rick rubin uh no, I didn't, but I got uh, an example yeah. for you. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, and, you know, and um, so many of them, all these great documentaries, Justin Bieber, you know, yeah. um, his documentaries are made by his company. So they're, this is what I'm, I love. I'm like, wow, this is because when I see these things, like, wow, this, they have really great access because mm. that's what we were always striving for at much and whatever when we were on the road is getting good access to the artists, you know, in a, in a um, candid moment, you know, getting them doing something real or stuff like that. And even back then it was hard to do that. So when you got that, it was amazing. Now there's two hour documentaries with all these people that are, you know, commissioned by the artists. So it's like, yeah. And it's a little bit, it's, it's, it's sort of like, you know, I'll see it and I go, and a lot of times when I see a documentary on music documentary, I'll, I'll fast forward right to the credits mm. and I'll, I'll look at who the executive producers were and the producers. Yeah. And then I'll, that's how I'll decide if I'm going to watch it or not. So if yeah. it's done by the management team of so-and-so that are, you know, the artists representing the artists, then I, I'll be like, eh, I don't want to watch it. Well, that, that happened to me a couple of years ago with um, Rain Maida and Chantel Kreviazic. Uh, I hope you don't mind me calling out these people, but uh, you can cu- cut me Go off. For it, baby. 
So they, I got hired to record some stuff, a live show of them performing down at Revival House, which is Little Italy. Yep. Yeah. So I'm down there and I'm recording it. And I'm, I know Rain a little bit from the 90s. And I kind of, I don't really know Chantel, but I know she's not a very nice person to work with. So, yeah. yeah, she's, yeah, yes, she's Chantel Harry Asscrack is what we call her. Um, yes. So, anyways, um, we're doing the recording, and their producer had been on me about doing all the location recording. I said, no, no, that's not what I do. I don't have booms. I'm not like that guy. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I'll do the band. I do the band and I have the gear and that's that's my job. You're not in the goal. You didn't bring any labs with you. I'm like, no, why would I bring labs? I'm here to record yeah. the band. Yeah. So what I found out is that the producer the producer was working for Chantel and Rain and they were doing a documentary on themselves. How brave. Yes. How brave. I, I, <laughs> the minute I saw that promo on there, I'm going like, fuck you guys. Yeah. This is bullshit. Anyway, go ahead. And it was. Yeah. It was total absolute total bullshit and it got down to a moment where they're like uh well where are the files and I said well i gotta I, listen i own a recording studio i've owned a recording studio for a very long time and what i do know is i'm not giving you anything until you've paid me like i am <laughs> i'm not that person like well you yeah. can we can invoice you and you can or you can invoice us and we'll pay you net 30 i said no no you're not ordering cans of coke you're not ordering things you know this is the art yeah. i've recaptured for you and this is all happening after the show. They just assumed they could just walk away with the hard drives. And I said, no, 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 no. I, I got to, no, you can pay me. And then, so they, well, okay, well, we'll try to pay you tomorrow. I'm like, fine, no problem. So then they ended up wiring me money and I sent them the receipt. And he's like, okay, so how are we going to get it? I said, well, give me your editor's num um, email. I'll set up a thing on my server. He can come and get it and it'll be right in LA and he'll have it, you know, by the next day or the day of. Well, we don't mm -hmm. we don't want to do it that way because Rain's going to mix it. So, can you take mm -hmm. a USB stick down to Toronto, drop it off? And I'm like an hour and a <laughs> half hour and a half outside of Toronto. I'm like, uh, no. Well, sure. Why? Ah, oh, fuck. Okay, whatever. So I went and saw a movie, and I get the vid, I get the you know the USB, oh and God. I put everything on. I go, where are you? She's like, I'm at Ossington and uh, Queen. I'm like, well, do you have a more specific address? Like, give me an address. I'm not just driving down to the city. Mm -hmm. This is their producer, who was a complete fucking wingnut, by the way. So, anyways, we end up, uh, we end up. So, whatever. I drive down to the city. I find it. We drop it off somewhere on Spadina, and I drop off the the hard drive to the concierge at this hotel. I'm like, all right, there you go. Go all the way home, and I bill him. I bill him for the for the time spent, and it was two hundred bucks because it yeah. was cost and miles and time. So yeah. they sent me back a thing, and uh, and they already have their files now. So they said, "Well, you know what? That's a little steep. Um, can we give you 150?" I said, Ugh. "No, no, you can't. It's 230, and that's the price. And I'd rather take nothing from you and take the high road, and and you guys, and I will have an amazing story out of this, and I will tell the heavens about how fucking cheap you motherfuckers are." Cut to a couple of months later. I'm in L.A. staying at a friend's house. His partner was the principal at a private school that they, the Rain and Chantel were trying to put their kids into. Yeah. And I told that story, and she goes, there's no fucking way they're coming to my school. So uh, there you go. <laughs> Karma's a oh, bitch, goodness. you know? And, yeah. and that's one of those, yeah, you know what? The industry is not that big. You can't squeak through. You can't squeak through.
you know, I'm sure you've, you've had, you've probably had a lot of run-ins like that type of stuff, but it's, yeah, well, I mean, it's the whole thing about starving artists too. Yeah. Um, uh, art and, um, music is what I've been around for most of my life. You know, art is something sort of, you know, something you, uh, uh, struggle through Mm -hmm. because, you know, there's commerce involved. And, you know, some, you know, I don't really, and it's, it's hard to have empathy for people that don't have to struggle, you know, so are they really artists, you know, in a lot of ways, some of the good ones are mm-hmm. there because they're fucking super talented. Yeah. Um, but some of them are just, you know, wealthy people who, who um, have nothing to do, but spend their wealth. Yeah. Brian Adams. I love Brian Adams. Brian Adams. Like, I love Brian Adams to death. Uh, he's great. He's a great songwriter, but Brian Adams, the photographer is a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> Brian Adams, you know, hanging out with Kate Moss and Paulina Porzkova and, and, you know, and doing all these photo shoots with them. Well, Brian, you're not really doing anything. You're pointing your fucking camera <laughs> at supermodels yeah. and it doesn't matter what camera you're holding. First of all, because you're still a photographer, because it's Kate Moss, because it's Pamela Anderson, because it's all that, you know, you know, so it's funny, yeah. you know, like art is, you, you're still on um, uh, single lane highways, you know, for a lot of things. So you got to be careful Yeah. with your art, yeah. with your art and the people that you're passing through, like you, Simon, with your outrageous demands for one hundred dollars for your time god well you weren't recording anything simon come on you only drove down an hour and a half there and an hour and a half back bought yourself mm-hmm. a usb from staples because it was way too much overpriced but i i really i have like i'm at the age in my life now where i will rather just eat the money have a story and you know because when i was recording yeah. bands in the 90s it was, I either paid my mortgage or didn't, you know, it was a very trying time, you know. Mortgage? You owned a home in the 90s? Uh, well, late, late, early 2000s, eight, early okay. 2000s, you know, I had to pay rent, you know, I had, I had yeah, yeah. a mouth to yeah. feed mine, be mostly, but yeah. I also had like, you know, I had, you know, I, I couldn't afford to like, just say, all right, you know what, you win. I don't want your money. <laughs> but now it's a power yeah. move. It's a power move for me to do something. It's like, you know, I'm. I'd rather uh, take the story and have the story and tell it to whoever will listen. And it it will only really instill things in certain people's points of view. Like Rain Maida is a fucking asshole. His wife Mm. is horrible, is is a fucking waspy bitch. So therefore, that's the way they are. And don't get me started on Matt Good. Yeah. But anyways, that's that's the whole vibe about... Matt Good. Yeah. yeah. Matt, Matt Good is an amazing fucking artist. I love Matt's songs and everything like that. But yeah, it's probably not a, he's probably a terrible guy. He was probably terrible to you, Simon. Yeah. Tell me, Simon, what did he do to you? <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm not bringing up old stories about Matt Good. But I heard I'm they called him. <laughs> I got a great story about Matt Good. Oh, really? And it could not, it might not be true, but I <laughs> fucking believe it. I believe it 100% is true. And I'm a fan uh, of Matt Good. So let me tell you. Apparitions is a beautiful song, and the video done by Bill Morrison, a Canadian. Now, he lives in the States now. I don't know how he got in there, but he did. 
Um, but um, Apparitions, great, great video, beautiful song. Anyway, so Matt, you know, Matt was doing very well in his uh, um, time here in Canada, had a lot of great albums. And, you know, like Simon, as much as you hate to admit it, he was selling out multiple days at mm-hmm. everywhere, the Commodore and Winnipeg and Alberta and anywhere you went, uh, Massey Hall, Matt was doing multiple days. Yep. Um, he was um, riding the wave, as they say in the record business. Mm-hmm. I just made that up now. But, um, <laughs> but then um, this is where what happened was, you know, Matt should have been a worldwide star. You know, I still find it funny that um, Dave, what's his name? Porter. Dave, he's in no, Dave. Uh, uh, Dave is an American artist. Dave, he was big with the college kids back then. Uh, Dave, his jangly songs—they're very jangly. Oh, you got me. Dave, Dave Matthews. Dave Matthews. Dave Matthews yeah, yeah. was like massive. Well, yeah, Matt yeah. Good was like the uh, the opposite of Dave Matthews. He was going to be bigger than him. That's what I thought, anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, Matt doing great. So it's finally his. Um, American label took took note of that, and um, they were like, "Okay, Matt, we're gonna put you out on tour. We're gonna tour you around the whole fucking America. You're gonna, you know, this is it. You're gonna make, you know, you're gonna be the next big superstar." And um, but they he had to go on tour with someone. That's how they always do. They always put you on support. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they're never gonna commit to you full time. No. So you're gonna, hey, you're SNFU. You're gonna go out with, uh, you know. Um, doa or something you know what i mean yeah, like, yeah. well i did like yeah, i did whatever. a year and a half with some 41 and we opened up for more than we headlined yes yeah, so, yeah yeah well yeah. there you go or avril yeah. levine or whatever sure yeah mm-hmm. so matt's doing this they're gonna do it this is their big thing and they said okay you're gonna go out and support third eye blind or someone like that you know i think it was third eye blind i'm pretty sure it was third eye blind and then matt was like Fuck you. We're not fucking opening for them. Blah, blah, blah. You know, we're bigger than them and better than them. And yes, you are, Matt. 100%. Way better. 100 times better. But he refused to to do it. He would not go on tour in the, in America supporting that band. And when they say supporting, that means you're opening up for them. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it, man. They were like, okay, you're not doing that. Boom. He was fucking done. Yeah. They didn't, they did nothing. They did not put a record out there or anything like that. And I know I'm pretty close to being quite correct on this information. Might not be third eye blind, but he totally fucked it up. But anyway, it doesn't matter because his art is beautiful and that's all that matters. But that's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, I do know the story and I read it because it was in Rolling Stone. And you know, I'm oh, not, really? I, I, not with, with this is a different story where um, he had um, he had a beef with Nickelback, and um, there's a R- Rolling Stone interview with Nickelback, and I'm not a big Nickelback fan, but I am appreciative of the fact that when they were saying in Rolling Stone saying how how's Canada, and they start being up, oh, you had a beef with this guy named Matt Good up in Canada, and the Rolling mm-hmm. Stone interview goes, well, who's Matt Good, and they went exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's there. Yeah. It's in Rolling Stone. It's hilarious. You know. There, there, there's a, another great example. Nickelback, Chad Kroger, the uh, brilliant 
brilliant songwriter. Great, great songwriter. Now, um, in a commercial sense, sure. yeah, you might not like them. You might not like their, their music or whatever, but Chad has written some, Chad writes the songs that people want to hear. Do you know why? <laughs> because he's fucking rich. And he can. He's yeah. fucking very, very rich. Yeah, yeah. Even married Avril Lavigne. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, there's a go. And you know what? He has the perfect, the perfect mix. Chad Kroger has a perfect mix of um, artist and businessman. Yes, yeah. he he's perfect. He's perfect there because he's not like, eh, he's kind of maybe you might say douchey, but yeah. he still has like, you know, well, the guy's a good fucking musician. Yeah. Well, he earned brownie points with me because I kind of like whatever. I've worked for tons of bands and. I yeah. I like most of them, but I I I do you know I I appreciate the person's attitude over the music a lot, and I will generally be more appreciative of their music if I understand it's coming from like a legitimate place or you yeah. know and and so and and Nickelback's one of those rare occasions where it's like you guys do great like you do like one would give their left fucking nut to be in Nickelback and you can go down and you go down to the bovine. Go down to wherever all the punks hang out and go, hey man, how'd you like to make four hundred thousand dollars a year playing bass in Nickelback? And I bet you that there will be people lining up uh, to do it. You know, they do it. You know, because they want a taste of that. Yeah. Everybody does in a way. You know, and you know, or just even the fact that you know, if I said um, I got um, my buddy Mark Spickalak who played in this band called Closet Monster. I told him to join Avril Levine's band. I said, go do that. Yeah. Yeah. I said, go, you have to do this because you're going to have fun. You're going to have an, you're going to enjoy yourself for a year. And he did. And he had a year of awesomeness. And then he ended up like running Universal's A&R department for years out of that. Like these are all things, little steps along yeah. the way, right? That, that got him into that, you know, and there's some punk rock kid from Ajax, Ontario, who decided that, you know, that's what I want to do. Holy shit. So what are you doing now? What are you doing these days? Uh, so now I sort of just evolved. I'm still doing camera. Like I'm a camera guy. Like, like, so I'm just basically a cinematographer now. Mm -hmm. uh, so I do mostly commercials yeah. and stuff like that. It's commercials or branded content. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I just kind of evolved into that. I moved from BC a while ago here and, I'm living here with my new wife and um, uh, Judy, and we are uh, doing that, and then just sort of freelancing, freelancing. Yeah. You know, the thing, that, the funny thing was, and uh, this is another thing about being an old bastard and everything like that. You thought I thought I would be doing that forever, what I was doing at much. You know what I mean? Traveling around the world and. Just, you know, with the camera and just doing cool stuff. And then it just, all of a sudden, it stopped. For me, it stopped. You know, it was shocking, actually, how quickly it stopped. And then we were into the reality kind of TV thing and the, and the making of the bands and all that kind of stuff. You know, it just, all of a sudden, it seemed to happen overnight. And so, you know, I've evolved into sort of more cinematography and sort of, actually have to learn a whole new way of doing things because mm -hmm. you know it's a lot different than being a dop and cinematographer because you gotta you actually have to know like logistics and, yeah. and managing people 
that which you never had to do before because I was always on my own. Yeah. You know, just doing stuff and filing it from airports and all that stuff. So yeah, so just uh doing that freelancing wise and I'm actually uh uh working on the Junos are coming up. So I'm working on that right now. Can't tell you what I'm doing, but I'm mm-hmm. doing some cool stuff for that. Um and that's coming up. So I'm been doing that for the last week or two or something so that's coming up and uh just trying to hustle you know yeah well we're in a we're in amazing times man i uh i uh i really appreciate you coming on the show and uh man like it feels like we kind of touched the surface but i i uh i think we we need to keep this up maybe over the next year or so have another one of these and just keep talking because there's a lot that this industry has to learn from the way it was and I don't want to leave yeah. it behind, you know, with ethics yeah. and with art oh, yeah. and with how the process is. We need to remember these yeah, things, really- you know, and put it somewhere. We need to put it somewhere. Yeah. And um, find out, like, it's fun to talk about, sort of talk it out and see how things, things the way they used to be, you know, and, and sort of, it sounds like a bunch of old guys talking about stuff the way it used to be. I oh, shut up, grandpa. Yeah. But then like, because for me it's sort of like like kind of like i wonder like well how did we even do it back then because like now if you were to try to do what we were doing how would you do that like how like when you were recording bands around you know driving in your van Mm -hmm. around canada and like going to these um parties and 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 showing up like how did how did they even know you were coming you know now you could just flake out on someone so much Simon, I can't do your podcast today. Um, my cat's yeah, cat's really nervous. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I could do that so easily by texting you. But the wheels are in motion. When Simon's coming from um, Saskatoon to Calgary, right? <laughs> you know, like Simon, like, hey, dude, I fucking told you I was coming. You can't bail out on me now. You know, <laughs> how did you do that? How did you even do that? Oh, it was incredible. I had a, well, I did have like a little, I had a little street team in every city who was like usually the band. And that's how I'd say, you know, you're in charge of making sure that everybody's going to do the thing they say they're going to do. And uh, I'm so glad you remember that. Cause that was like, that was a big part of my life is traveling all over Canada, recording bands in their basements. Um, but the fact that. I remember you. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, it was just, it was one of those times in life where I, I, I spent like a month in Calgary, just recording bands in Calgary. I was almost going to move there, you know? Yeah. And uh, the thing is, like, this is going back to even about, like, you trying to find that lowest of the low footage. Okay. So, sign like, this stuff is all gold. It's yeah. gold, gold, gold. So you want to find this lowest of low footage. Why, Simon? Because you're what? What, what? What's your intention, Simon? You yeah. want to make money? What are you doing? Yeah. Okay, Simon, it's uh, you know, $100 on a minute, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm just trying to tell a great story about a great artist, you know. And this is the whole thing about like, you know, like doing this. Like when you were doing it back then, I don't even know why you were doing it. You were doing it back then because you like doing it, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Because, yeah. Because, you know, it was, it was recording, it was recording and it was like trying to get good sounds like in a basement, for example, like, you know what I mean? It was a challenge and you love doing it. Like, that's why you did it. You love doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, 
but that's the way it is, you know. Like, and you know, I, I draw towards people that are like-minded, and uh, and as we get older, that's one good thing about getting older is being able to quickly be able to decipher whether or not that person's in your in your team or on your tribe, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm pretty good at feeling out people's personalities, you know, now than mm-hmm. I was, you know, and. I just wanted, I just, the thing is, the funny thing about all this now is that I wanted people to be more like me, but now I can appreciate that people are different. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm not the same person I was 20. I'm sure you're not like 30 years ago. Were you that, are you the same person? Cause if you are, there's something wrong. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I wish I would have known now what I knew back then. Yeah. What the fuck was I doing? No, you're no, doing good work, man. You were, you were doing great work and you were doing things that was cutting mm-hmm. edge that you know, was inspirational to people. Like, fuck, man. Like, you're talking to this band, no word, nobody band from Winnipeg, you know, to yeah. for for the so, sh- sheer fact of, like, that was what you wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and the thing about it was, um, I know you want to wrap this up, but we'll just keep going. You can, are you editing this? Not really. <laughs> I might split it in two. I might split it in two. Or just, you can edit it. Because I just, I'll try. Uh, but, you know, the whole thing was, like, I started putting up um, everything on Instagram that I, from my archive tapes, that I salvaged from my, um, before much down and everything. So a lot of my stuff that I have, I'm putting it up on an Instagram uh, um, feed. And uh, because, I mean, you know, like, you look at it and it's like, well, there's nothing much to it, you know, like. But it really is like almost like oneers. They're almost like oneers. So I was doing stuff every day, you know, like filing stuff every day. So, you know, like I always laugh at it because of like, wow, that was really, you were really busy because I was constantly putting stuff out and I had to physically ship tapes like by, you know, FedEx or Air Canada or whatever. I knew all the guys who were working late. And I would call them and they'd pick up my tapes and we'd, you know, we'd do a paper edit and send it to the editors for the next morning. And so now I'm starting to look at this stuff and put it back up and go like, oh, well, you know, it's pretty, it's not very deep, a lot of it, but it's a great snapshot of the time. And like, for example, like one of the first things, you know, like Red Fisher was one of the first things I did with you and John and and um jason yeah um and uh it really is a, uh look at the van okay if, if anybody wants to see it they can see it at yeah. um um mucho m do you want me to plug it yeah 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 absolutely yeah yeah for sure yeah oh yeah on instagram if you want to see some of these stories so you know that i'm not a babbling idiot <laughs> so it's mucho m-u-c-h-o dot m-u-s-i-c-a yeah. mucho dot musica and it has some stories there you can see about what what uh simon and i did together um <laughs> and uh all kinds of stuff like duotang from winnipeg is yeah, a, yeah. Uh, a band that friends of mine that i love and then you could see like you know nardwar who's yeah. uh everybody knows nardwar and i have like tons of stories i could tell you I could spend hours talking about Nardwar with you yeah. about, you know, like almost getting killed, but beat up so many times. I've almost got beat up 
while working with Nardwar <laughs> because people wanted to kill us. Um, and, you know, like uh, Carl Lagerfeld and, oh, just tons of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Maybe in the future, we'll do it. Yeah, the, uh, it's, uh, like I said, that that got me into Instagram. So it's like, oh, man, I, I didn't think I'd ever get into Instagram, you know? But now, here I am. I still don't get it. I don't post regularly, but I don't think that's important. I thought, you know... Oh. But it, it's, it's, um, yeah, man, I, I, I really appreciate what you have done over these years. And, 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 and I'm glad we actually reconnected and through the power of the internets, here we are. And, uh, yeah, and thank you. And thank you for your, uh, um, uh, words on Chai. No, oh, that's uh, Passing. And, um, it's, uh, I didn't really realize how close you guys were. And, you know, you being with them out like five years out. Yeah. With them? Yeah. yeah. Five or road. six years. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. This, you weren't just like a guy that met him. <laughs> you know, I used to walk into him every so often and uh and he was awesome. Yeah. I lived with him you basically remember? in a hotel room for like yeah. six years almost. <laughs> Did you remember that show at the New Yorker? Remember the New Yorker in Vancouver? Um New Yorker Club. I don't maybe. Was it an SNFU yeah. show? Yeah, it was no, it was a Rock for Choice show. Ooh, yeah, it was, it was no. a good one. But uh, was yeah, it? It but, wasn't. No, no, I'm thinking of the University. Um, not with Bouncing Souls. Okay. No, it was a Rock for Choice show. It was like fifty four forty. So it was fifty four forty and like SNFU and a bunch of other big artists. And it was at the New Yorker in Vancouver, Ooh. and it was um, it was jammed packed. And it was like 5440 are awesome, totally awesome. But all the fucking, it was all SNFU fans, you know, there. And it was amazing because they were just given her, but it was also amazing because it was a rock for choice yeah, uh, yeah. show. So it was totally awesome because everybody was down with it. And, uh, it was pretty fucking awesome. Yeah. Well, one thing I learned about band etiquette and life and touring and, getting along with people it was touring with those guys for so many years for sure is learning how to how to be a person you know and how to live in close com com confines with other people definitely yeah and uh yeah man crazy days and uh like i said um really good to talk to you and good to good to see you and with your blurry with your blurry camera yeah sorry about that and hey if this is terrible it's not. Uh, no, you don't have to run it. We'll do another one <laughs> some other time. We're not do. We don't do redos on this podcast. We keep it all. Oh, okay. We keep yeah. it all. That's thanks. fine. I don't thanks. care. Thanks, yeah. man. All right. Thank you. And now for the story. So before I moved to Much, I had this great um, boss, Kevin Shaw. He was nuts, and he was always listening to the police scanner. One night, it was like late. I was in bed. Jay, you got to come out. Why? They, the cops have um, cornered this bank robber. These guys just pulled off a bank robbery and they're saying that they're holed up in this, this club and they're waiting for them to come out right now. So what club? And you know, the zoo, you know, <laughs> the zoo, the Osborne. Okay. All you people in Winnipeg, yeah. it's the Osborne village Inn. So um, my boss has got his police scanner back then. You could, you could listen to the police with like a Radio Shack scanner. So I'm like, okay, I'll get up, I'll run, I get the car, I get my camera. And Kevin and I are like crouched down 
behind these cars slowly moving towards the because all the cops are waiting at the exit of the um, Osborne Village Inn for this guy to come out because they're going to arrest them. It's the SWAT team and everyone. They don't know we're there yet. So we're like crawling in like idiots because I'm young. I don't know. I want to do this, right? I want to be a news cameraman. And then um, uh, we, we both have scanners in our ears. And okay, he's ready. And um, here he comes. He's coming. So as soon as the guy's coming out, I jump up with Kevin and I turn on my light and I'm making my way towards this the, the, the alleged robber with my camera and with the cops all surrounding him with guns. And I'm coming around him like cinematic style. Of course. <laughs> I'm doing like I'm doing like a 180 around him, like to, because they're like grab him and and uh, throwing him against the car. And then I then I this guy goes, get the fuck out of the way, you fucking idiot! And I look behind me, and it's a guy with a shotgun, like right at my head. And I move back behind him with the camera, and I'm like still shooting. And it was like it was totally like amazing and i'm like wow that was really good we did fucking awesome and then the next day <laughs> the next day at work the police show up and you're under arrest oh. and they, we both got arrested so we both got arrested for obstructing a peace officer um and we still didn't really know why we did it um or why they arrested us but then after a while they were like eh, well you know you guys uh were hiding in um you know between cars and with your police scanners <laughs> and anyway so so basically what happened was we were arrested for obstructing a peace officer and we had like a bunch of lawyers from the company they came and arrested us they it was the big news in the in all the papers not not and not nothing outside of winnipeg sure. or anything but a big news in the papers and uh we went to court and um the judge stayed the charges and um so that was it stated charges and blah, blah, blah. and i didn't think anything of it but come two years later when i was in with much music um so two years later at much music i'm traveling to new york my first trip for much music uh, i'm going through the border oh you know i go through the guy hey uh, so are you are you jason myers yeah oh um so were you ever arrested i said no <laughs> And then I'm going to ask you again, you know, this, you know, the, mm. these guys, I, yeah. I'm going to ask you one more time. Were you ever arrested? Oh yeah. Well, one time I was arrested and, <laughs> and then I said, well, what for? And I told him the whole story that I just relate to you. <laughs> um, and he starts like, he's looking at me and he, and he kind of like staring at me for a moment after I told him the story, he like shakes his head and goes, well, that's a good story. Okay. <laughs> you can go. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> okay, you can go. And then, he, then I'm, I'm like, okay, first time. You know what? Like, if that guy didn't actually, if that guy didn't let me go, my career would have stopped right there <sighs> because um, they would have like red flagged me. And but this was in like they barely had computer systems. Amazing. So I think um, we got a lawyer and we got the the charge um, flagged, uh, stopped, so stayed. So um, uh, it saved me. But anyway, yeah, good story. It's a great one. And that was Mr. J. Myris. Right? That's all I can say. 
but guy has been everywhere all over the place he's seen great things and he's done great things and he is an asset to the Canadian music industry because he puts stupid bands from Winnipeg on much music bands without videos like Redfish or the stand-up play we He's just a good person, and he had a little bit of leverage at Much Music, and as you can tell, he, he still does it, and, you know, yeah, that could have been one of my favorite ones. Yeah. Everybody, thanks so much for listening to the show. Thank you for sticking this out. For as long as it is, to, um, I am tonight going to be recording my 300th episode, and, uh, yeah, I promise to get it out sooner than later, um, with Stephen Rawls from Belvedere. And I think it's the second or third time back on the show. And you know what? 300 episodes is pretty good. It's pretty good. That's that's six and a half years of podcasts. And uh, yeah, longer than most bands I've been in. Uh, what can I say? I guess I'm going to keep going for a while. You know, I'm, I'm working on this documentary. I am working at work. I'm trying to put this band together. I'm trying to write songs. I am working for other bands. It's a busy, busy time be doing nothing <laughs> that's a weird one that's a song it's a Beatles song it's a busy time to do nothing uh, so what can I say 300 episodes um, can't complain really can't There's a lot of talk a lot of coffee a lot of sleepless nights because I drank coffee uh, a few boozy nights too with friends everybody thank you so much for listening to the show like I said and I will see you next week for episode number 300 See you next week. Bye.